think of queer theory is simply to understand that it's a war on all that is normal. So the the idea that there is, you know, a moral right when it regards sexual behavior and a moral wrong, that right there, it, it doesn't make sense. There is no established morality with it because what is considered moral is simply a social construct. Welcome, everybody, to Conversations That Matter. I'm your host, Alex Newman. We have an incredibly special guest with us today. He's the author of this book. It's called The Critical State of Education, How Classical Education Can Defeat Critical Marxism. Uh, and I think for most Americans, uh, a lot of that terminology is going to be foreign. You might have heard somebody talking about it on TV, but uh, you know, getting into the nitty-gritty uh, is what Joseph actually does fantastically well in this book. Uh, in addition to being a firefighter, that's his day job. Uh, he's got this book here. He's got a new one uh, coming up called Perverts Progress, exploring how the sexualization of children is being used to facilitate global governance. He's also about to start a podcast exploring the meaning and significance of the abolition of man by C.S. Lewis, who, as we were just talking about, was uh, unbelievably brilliant with uh, the foresight to see these things coming from so long ago. Uh, Joseph, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let's, let's start, if you don't mind, with the real basics, because I think uh, for a lot of people, even the the critical Marxism, critical theory, uh, you know, th this is terminology they may have heard, but they don't understand. Uh, what is critical theory, which is, of course, the the root of the, you know, the critical race theory, the critical gender, the gender theory? Uh, talk about just the, the overarching critical theory and critical Marxism and how that is like uh, above all the other critical theories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to put it. The overarching, the way I like to think of it is like, uh, you know, if you think of Christianity, that's the overarching term. And then you've got all the denominations below, you know, whether it's an Eastern Orthodoxy, a Roman Catholic, uh, Protestant, and then all the sub, you know, groups below that. It's the same kind of principle, critical theory, or what I just call critical Marxism, it would be the overarching thing. And then you have all the other subsets below that, the queer theory, the critical race theory, critical fat studies. It goes on and on and on. You can make up anything you wanted, really. And what, what that is, it's um, the Marxist adaptation of particular theorists coming out of Europe around the time of um, World War II. You know, as you're leading into that, you have guys in Germany who flee uh, Germany because the National Socialists are taking power. So they got to get the heck out. They come to America and they uh, really infest crit critical theory here. And particularly a guy named Herbert Marcuse becomes the, the leader of that going forward after the initial couple guys go back to Europe after the war. He stays on in America and becomes the big figure. And from there, he would kind of be like the, you know, the the initial guy who's really getting things going in the 50s and 60s in America with all the turmoil we saw uh, happen at that time. And then from there, you have all these subsets of that initial critical theory emerge. Like, like we're saying, critical race theory and queer theory are probably the two most known and biggest ones right now. And the uh, the idea here is you are going to be critical of everything in society that you want to change, so to speak. You know, Marcuse actually thinks that there's a utopia lying dormant below. And it's just a society that is essentially blocked. It's, it's a blockade and keeping it from actually naturally flourishing up. So he's saying, all right, we're going to be critical of absolutely everything. 
And that's how we're going to get this utopia to emerge. So the name critical Marxism, I, I think that's actually a more accurate name than critical theory, simply because it says the quiet part out loud. This is a Marxist adaptation. And it's not my term. It was a term used by Isaac Gatzman in his book, The Critical Turn of Education, where he is He's a critical pedagogist himself, so he's in one of the subsets of critical Marxism, and he's saying, look at how successful we have been at taking over education with all these various, you know, subsets of critical Marxism. And so he uses that term, the critical Marxist tradition, is what he calls it. And it's like, oh, that's perfect. I'll just use his term. He's an advocate of that view. And like I said, it couldn't be more accurate that this is going back to the initial thing with Marx. And it's just saying, look, Marx's theory was nonsense because it didn't come about, but we can make it happen by tweaking it. And there was a whole bunch of different adapters or adapters, you know, as I call them, um, before Herbert Marcuse comes on the scene. You had guys in Europe, uh, you know, Mussolini is one, Lenin is one. These are all adapters from that. The one that came here and is stuck was the one that got picked up by Herbert Marcuse, and that's the critical theory, as I term it, critical Marxism. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about your book is that you're actually using resources that they themselves have put out. I mean, you're, you're not just like citing conservative thinkers and you know people on Fox News who are upset about it. You're actually going to the writings of these people themselves and showing yeah. that this is what they are saying to each other and, and to their own followers. Um, it's just it's really, really powerfully done. Um, and, and before we get to the end of this uh, interview, I want to talk to you also about classical education, which you suggest can be the tool we can use to uh, to stand up against this. But talk a little bit about how critical theory is used. Um, you, you actually in your book, and I think you do a wonderful job of making the case, you compare it to like a religion, a, a new religious movement. Uh, talk about what this looks like in the classroom. How, how do they get this into the minds of young people? And what does it do to our young people when their minds become infected with this new religion? Yeah. Yeah. So a big thing would be the the, the takeover of the curriculum would be a, a key figure there. Um, the figure, Antonio Gromsky, uh, you know, he explained, OK, you got to move the curriculum from what the curriculum is currently teaching, as, as he would complain, you know, that it's teaching capitalism. You got to move that to teach the proper values. And that's how then we'll take over the minds of the kids. And so today, you know, we see that with something like a real obvious one is the 1619 project. And that curriculum in schools, it, it's essentially teaching a children a, a mythology, really, of the United States and saying this is actually its origins. And so we disregard uh, what is actually the historical truth of the situation, which is a complicated thing. And there's a lot to be learned by looking into that and says, no, this is what it is. And this is how you're to learn it. And because of that, therefore, you despise your country because your country is inherently immoral from the start, which is blatantly untrue. But that is that's just a you know a poignant example that's been incredibly effective at conquering the minds of the kids. Yep. And so they they become so critical of their own society that uh, as Donald Trump pointed out on July 4th in his speech at the um at the uh, big monument there in South Dakota, Mount Rushmore, um, you know, they're teaching kids to hate their own country. And that's why our cities are burning, because we've taught yeah. our, our young people that America is evil and should be burned to the ground. Yeah. Um, 
Joseph, uh, you also get into uh, quite a bit on queer theory, and I actually learned uh, quite a bit from your book on this that I was not aware of. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me so profoundly was how some of the the founders of this queer theory movement were actually pretty open about the long-term objective of uh, basically pedophilia, normalizing and legalizing pedophilia. Um, you know, because people are saying that, you know, that these guys are groomers, uh, and yet you've got the proof, you've got the smoking gun evidence. Talk about where this is all going with the the sexualization and the the perversion that's being taught, uh, going back to the original founders of queer. Yeah. So the main paper that I use in there was Gail Rubin's 1984 essay. And yeah, I give just multiple examples, and I only do some of them. You could read the whole, it's a long paper. And there's even more than I give in there. I probably give like five to seven of them. And she's explicitly um, advocating for pedophilia and saying like, oh, this this uh, particular professor is taking pictures of this child who's seven years old naked. And she's saying, oh, the professor is then, you know, getting backlash for this. How how bad they, they shouldn't be getting that. You know, that's just one of the examples and essentially saying, well, you know, that should be OK there should be no, uh, you know, differentiation here between ages. And the uh, the best way I think to think of queer theory is simply to understand that it's a war on all that is normal. So the the idea that there is, you know, a moral right when it regards sexual behavior and a moral wrong, that right there, it, it doesn't make sense. There is no established morality with it because what is considered moral is simply a social construct of the society set up to maintain their dominance you know so the the idea is to completely remove any idea of there being something normal and of course this is just a, a facade then they will step in and this is what i call the dealer's choice postmodernism because postmodernism is inherently um, built on this idea of, oh, well, there is no objective truth, but that itself is a statement of objective truth. So it doesn't make sense. So the problem is, it's a, as I call it, it's a, a smoke screen. It's not a fire meant to burn the house of morality down. Rather, it's a smoke screen meant to, you know, give cover while they sneak in a new morality through the back door. And it's exactly what then happens. You know, you, you uh, claim that there is no normal. Meanwhile, you'll set up a new normal. And they're very open about that. Judith Butler explicitly says, um, and she's one of the, the key uh, queer theorist founders, she explicitly says that it will continually, queer theory will continually develop and move. I call it a shapeshifter in the next book. It's a shapeshifter continually developing based off of what is politically advantageous. Well, there you go. You know, it, it's, it's, right out right uh there out open in the front you know and i just read what they say and i'm like well i i think they mean what they say yeah and i think they do too uh folks stay with us we're gonna go to break real quick and we will be right back with more from joseph weigel stay tuned sophia paused before the door it read department of biodigital convergence just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. 
Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. Welcome back to Conversations That Matter. Alex Newman here, your host, senior editor at The New American Magazine. Our guest is Joseph Weigel, author of The Critical State of Education, How Classical Education Can Defeat Critical Marxism. We're going to spend some time on that in this second segment. Uh, Joseph, uh, before we get into solutions, I've got a few things on my mind. Uh, First of all, tell us about your upcoming work, uh, Perverts progress i i love the title obviously i haven't read it yet because it's not finished yet but uh, you're, you're arguing that this uh, perversion the sexualization of our children is actually paving the road toward global governance and i agree i'm curious though how did you arrive at that conclusion well specifically with the global governance part the uh international standards put out by the un for this you know sexual education material comprehensive sex ed material they explicitly say that CSE, Comprehensive Sex Education, is a part of achieving the sustainable development goals. And, and when you look at the goals, it, you know, it's in there. So that is uh, just part of the puzzle. You know, there's 17 sub- sustainable development goals. And so to sexualize the children is just a piece of the puzzle with making that happen. And I consider Comprehensive Sex Ed as really a package within what I call the SEL, social emotional learning delivery truck. So the delivery truck is delivering all these packages to the children, one of which is comprehensive sex ed. And it's a incredibly powerful one. The reason why I thought I should focus specifically on that item out of, you know, there's a whole bunch of things you could cover when you're talking about the sustainable development goals. But I thought that was a important one to cover because of how powerful sexualizing children is and the sexual appetites that humanity has are incredibly powerful themselves. So it's a great tool if you want to try and you know bring about whatever your political project is. And I, I really, uh, I would say, understood this idea really well when I read Brave New World, where we see, you know, I mean, th- this is kind of like the ultimate totalitarian state to the point where you have totally removed even reproduction from mom and dad from the family in order to absolutely 100% capture the youth uh and so that's that is you know we're not to that level yet but that would be the ultimate way to do it to get to that degree so the destruction of the family which obviously things like uh pornography would be a huge uh, factor for bringing that about. These all play into that. You you want to destabilize this building block of society, the family, and then you have people loyal to the state rather than to the family. You know, so all these items work together um, in order to ultimately shift power to these people who want the global tyranny in the end. 
Yep. Uh, and it's exactly what they're doing. I mean, I, I think you just articulated it perfectly. This is ultimately taking down the family. Uh, and you mentioned in the last segment, replacing the old system of morality, the old moral order with a new one. Uh, and, and taking down the family is such a powerful way to do that because you lose yeah. that transmission belt then where values and morals and culture and civilization are passed from one generation to the next. Uh, it, it's just so diabolical. It's hard to know uh, where to even start with it. Uh, Joseph, before we get into what you say is the solution to this, I, I just have a question. I, I am so fascinated by this because you have... Uh, discovered things and identified things that even people who do this all day, every day for a living have not uh, revealed and stumbled across yet. Um, and yet you have like a real job. You're a productive member of society. Um, how, how did you get on this? How were you educated that you could say? And because you in your book, you go back to, you know, all these philosophers, Nietzsche and Hegel. I mean, th this is so far beyond the scope of what most uh, victims of our public school system are learning. It, it's not even in the same ballpark. How did you get active in this? What what caused you to want to start these books? And how did you receive the education so that you'd be able to put this together? Yeah, I well, essentially, it's a self-taught education. I, I am a product of the public schools. And then uh, later in my life, I'm, I'm a person who develops habits and then will stick with habits, whether it's, you know, fitness stuff or then what became important for this was reading. I just started reading and I just loved to learn. So I dove in, I dove in, I dove in. And eventually I was like, I am missing a whole world of education, true education that I never got. You know, I, who Aristotle, who's that? I don't know. You know, it just totally um, beyond my level. And so I just wanted to know. And so I just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. And so I went back to the great books and read the things that have built, you know, the, the, the giants whose shoulders we stand upon here in the West. I, I wanted to, to, you know, get myself into those great ideas and learn from them. And that took me to the guys who I would say are more on my side, like a C.S. Lewis, uh, and also the people who I think um, teach us some very important things, though I think they are ultimately wrong in their fundamental view of the world, like a Friedrich Nietzsche, like you mentioned, Nietzsche is somebody I, I recommend everybody read because he is just so honest about if God is dead, this is the result. And I think he's hundred percent right. I, I read his stuff. I'm like, yep, Nietzsche is right. He's right. He's right again. He's right again. He's right. He's right all over the place. The only place I think he's wrong is in that first principle. God is dead. I don't think God is dead, you know? And so then that's uh, another discussion there, but these are things that we just we don't have any idea of today because we as i put it in my next book you know what are these you know these old writers have to teach us they're a bunch of bigots you know we <laughs> look so much more you know intelligent than them and we don't realize that is an incredibly hubristic view and it's only leading to as lewis called it the abolition of man so yeah I, that, that's my own kind of personal uh educational experience Yep. Yeah. And you know, I was speaking of all those uh, old dead writers. I mean, they're probably all trans folks. I mean, they, they probably wouldn't have agreed <laughs> with dropping off private parts from kids. Uh, and, you know, you touched on something important. You know, your book is not what I would say written from a Christian perspective, although from reading and I get the sense that you are a Christian and uh, I absolutely love your conclusion. Um, and I hope everybody, Christian or non-Christian, will will end up reading it. But uh, when it comes to the solution, Joseph, you argue in favor of classical education. You say classical education could help uproot this this monster and help turn the tide. Um, in the last few minutes that we have left here, uh, give us your view on 
classical education? I mean, starting from the basics, what is classical yeah. education? How is it different from what passes for education today? And why do you think that would enable uh, us as a society to turn back the tide here? Yeah. Yeah. The, the best place, I think, to begin is just with the word educate, which just comes from the Latin educare, which means to lead out, to lead forth. And the direction that you're supposed to be leading forth is towards what is objectively good, true, and beautiful. And that is such a contrast to today, where the claim is that legitimate knowledge, as this is something explicitly stated by Joe Kinchelow, one of these critical pedagogists who's in the line of Paulo Freire. He says, uh, true knowledge, legitimate knowledge, is only what the society has you know, established the dominant structures in society have set up. So there really is no true knowledge. There is no objective truth, goodness, and beauty. Instead, it's just going to be a war for, as Nietzsche put it, the will to power. You know, there there is no objective truth. It's all a will to power. And who can ever, you know, establish themselves as the most powerful gets to set that standard. The the Ubermensch, as Nietzsche would put him, you know, the Superman, the Overman, he will be the guy who tells us as Nietzsche puts it elsewhere, the teachers of the purpose of existence. Our, our new purpose of existence will be set by, in our case, the critical pedagogist is who's trying to do that. Yeah, so the the idea of education then is that you are seeking those transcendental things, the what is objectively true, good, and beautiful. And, and the goal is to form the well-ordered soul, as as it's put in the in the classics, where they think of man, uh, this goes back to uh, the ancient Greeks, they, they think of man as having a three-part division of the soul where you have the logos, the reason, and then you have the emotions or the thumos in the Greek, and then you have the appetites or desires, the epithemia in the Greek. And the idea is you order those things correctly so that the logos, as C.S. Lewis says in the abolition of man, the logos is going to govern those appetites. So your reason governs the appetites and it uses that emotional aspect as the liaison officer between the two. And that that emotional aspect, that is tied to natural law, God's law written on our hearts. And so if you if you are missing that, then you are not a educated person as, as Lewis and, and going all the way back to these ancients as they would understand it. So the the education from the classical view, and so this is one of those cases where you have to use classical in front of it, simply because education has become so botched that now we need to say, oh, it's classical, just like classical liberalism. You know, we have to put that word in front to understand. Really, it's just education. The other thing is not education at all. So education is developing the person with a well-ordered soul who can be morally and intellectually virtuous. They are what man is meant to be, is the idea, striving towards that. Of course, no one ever achieves perfection except for Jesus. You know, so that's that's the uh, the objective of education in a nutshell. Amen. Uh, and your book just uh, puts it brilliantly, very concisely. It's uh, what is it here? It's about 100. And my copy's all marked up and dog eared up. Uh, this is just so much good information here. Uh, you got about 176 pages in here. Just uh, fantastically well done. Joseph, what's the best way for people to get a copy of this? Uh, the Critical State of Education, How Classical Education Can Defeat Critical Marxism. Where can people buy this? Amazon is the only place because I self-published it. So yeah, just go to Amazon and if you search my name, that'll be the only thing that pops up. Or uh, like, I think Critical Marxism, it pops it up pretty quick. So yeah, that, that's where you can get it. 
Excellent. Well, Joseph Weigel, thank you so much for writing this book. Thank you for spending some time with us today on it. I'll look forward to uh, the perverts progress. When that comes out, please let us know. Uh, folks, I'm Alex Newman. This is Conversations That Matter for the New American Magazine. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, share this with your friends, with uh, your teachers, with uh, your congressmen, your state legislators. This is critical information. We need to get it out. Uh, quite literally, the future of our country depends on Americans understanding this and dealing with it. Again, thank you for watching or listening. If you're hearing us on podcasts, until next time, God bless you all.